guest can have a seat. Um, if you're joining us uh, for the first time or if you're joining us online, my name is Anthony. I'm pastor here at Fellowship Church, and we're glad that you're here um, this stormy weekend. That was a pretty windy uh, day the last couple of days, and um, but I, I'm glad you're here. It kind of actually feels like December uh, today, and it does not feel like it's Christmas here in, in the next, like, 14 days, yeah, 13 days till Christmas, I think, right? So Merry Christmas, everybody. Um, we're going to wrap up the first part of our series that we're in this year. Um, we're doing a series called Exodus Journey, and we've split it up into four parts that we're going through. We're looking at the book of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Um, and we've been looking at the first 15 chapters of Exodus since October. We're going to finish that up today. We've been calling this part of the series The Sea. Uh, because it ends uh, today with the parting of the Red Sea. It's kind of the, the climax of this part of the story. So we've been calling this part the sea. Uh, we've had 11 parts of the series so far, all of them unique and powerful. I enjoy preaching through books of the Bible. Um, it forces us to touch on things that you just wouldn't if we're preaching topically. And so I'm excited to do that all um, the rest of this year. Uh, we have a Christmas service next week, as Kara mentioned. That's going to be um, next Sunday at 10 and 5. We're just doing two services, 10 a.m., 5 p.m., and we have kids' programs at both. And our, our theme for next week is just simply Rejoice, Rejoice, Emmanuel. And so we will have a time of worship. Um, we do try to sing some traditional Christmas songs uh, in addition to worship songs as well on Christmas, just like we did today. Uh, but I encourage you to invite friends and family to join you uh, next week at one of our services. Christmas is just such an easy invite. Uh, we'll preach the gospel, invite people to faith. And then on the 26th, as Kara mentioned, we won't have church that weekend. Um, but we'll be joining together again on January the 2nd for a new year. We're going to spend a couple of weeks looking at relationships through a Christian perspective. And so we're going to be looking at singleness. We'll be looking at um, being a widow or a widower, we'll be looking at being divorced, uh, being engaged, being married, dating, and in really complicated relationships as well. And really, every single one of those relationships I mentioned, including singleness, is very complicated. Um, singleness is the least complicated of them all, uh, but we're going to spend a couple of look, weeks looking at that, um, looking at how God can heal our hearts in relationship with one another. Um, and that's not for people in relationship. It's for people out and in relationship. It's for everybody. Um, but we're going to wrap this up today, Exodus 14. We're going to do something a little different today in that uh, we try not just to read through the story, um, but just kind of retell some of the story as we pick some of the select passages. Though today we will read through just the chapter Exodus 14, as I think it's very appropriate. We get every detail of this story, and we, we look at its application on the way. And then we'll, we'll end with a big application for this series today as the message comes to a close. And so where we were last week is last week the Israelites exited Egypt. God freed them from slavery after Egypt experienced ten plagues. The last plague being um, the death of the firstborn sons of Egypt. And this was a plague which really forced Pharaoh's hand to let God's people go. And so Israel left quickly in the middle of the night following receiving silver, gold, clothing, 
armor and weapons from the Egyptians. Um, They left after they gathered all their things and they took part in the first Passover meal. And God led them out of the land and led them forward toward the Red Sea. And he led them by a pillar of cloud in the daytime and a pillar of fire in the night. And we talked last week, the big idea was how does God lead us today and where is he leading us as a church? Uh, But God leads Israel directly to the Red Sea. And kind of the big idea today as we start to read through, I'd like you to be thinking about um, trials enemies and seas, Uh, trials, enemies, and seas. Many of you have been through trials this year. Many of you have enemies, and many of you have experienced what we'll call seas or obstacles in the way. And so let's pick up Exodus 14, verse 1 through 4. The verses will be, uh, if you're joining us online, they'll be um, on the screen right in front of you. If you're in-house, they'll be on the screens behind me. If you have our app, it's FC Online. All the verses are listed there in order. And usually there's some verses that we don't read uh, out loud that are put in there as a reference as well. Um, I don't think there is this week. So Exodus uh, 14, 1 through 4, it says this. The Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hiharoth between Migdol and the sea. In front of Baal-Zephon, you shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them, and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. That's been God's overarching purpose all along, that the Egyptians would know he is the Lord, that Pharaoh would know he is the Lord, that Israel would know he is the Lord, and that we would know that he is the Lord. And it says, and they did so. And so they encamped there in front of the Red Sea, and essentially, if you had to ask yourself, what's happening right now, here's what it is. It's a trap. This is a trap for the Egyptians. Uh, God has led Israel toward the Red Sea. The Egyptians see them as bait, and Egypt will follow Israel into God's trap for Pharaoh. And even though Admiral Akbar is shouting from his chariot to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, it is a trap. It's not going to stop them. And so verse 5 through 9, it says, When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled... The mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And the people, the servants of Pharaoh, said, What is this that we have done? That we have let Israel go from serving us. We just lost our help. We just lost our workers. We just lost our slave labor. So Pharaoh made ready his chariot and took his army with him. And he took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. And I love love that the author here, the Holy Spirit, reads them, uh, leads him to write, Israel's going out defiantly. Because they're not going out in defiance to God, are they? 
They're going out in defiance to this worldly system that has oppressed them, has enslaved them, has kept them for 430 years, but they are going out defiantly, and the mind of Pharaoh, his servants, and the people, their eyes are open. They're like, we made a mistake. We've fallen into a trap. So the Egyptians pursued Israel, all of Pharaoh's horses and all of Pharaoh's chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them and camped at the sea by Pi-Hiharoth in front of Baal-Zephon. If you're looking for a name for a coming baby, may I suggest Pi-Hiharoth. It will not be teased in school. All the kids will pronounce it real well. So, Egypt literally demanded that Israel leave. They wanted them to leave because of all these plagues that had fell upon them. But now they realize the good thing, which was really a bad thing that they were doing by keeping them, but they realize the good thing they had, and they go after them. And Israel, who had just been free, just experienced freedom from slavery for 430 years, they now find themselves surrounded again. First, they were enslaved, and now they're surrounded by the enemy. How many of you in your life have ever found yourself surrounded by something? Surrounded by an enemy, surrounded by trials, surrounded by the sea, surrounded by sometimes your own heart and your own mind and your own flesh. Find yourself surrounded. Verse 10. When the Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and the people feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, this is, that's a weird sentence structure, by the way, because it says, they cried out to the Lord, they said to Moses. So Moses is acting as if he's a priest. That's why God had said that Moses would be like God before Pharaoh. He also is before Israel. And so when they're bringing complaints before God, they bring them to God's servant, And they said to Moses, is it because there's no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Now, this is sarcasm, by the way. This is irony because one of the main things that we know about Egypt even today is that they were all about graves, weren't they? They were all about tombs. We are discovering tombs upon tombs upon tombs of ancient Egyptian dead, and we're still discovering them today. And so Israel's saying, Egypt is full of tombs. And if we were going to just simply die, we should have just stayed there so we could have been buried there. But you're going to bring us out into the wilderness to die when there are plenty of tombs in Egypt? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. You see, 40 years before, Moses had killed an Egyptian slave master. And the people were upset with him because they believed that that would make their work more difficult. And essentially, they drove Moses out of Egypt. And then when Moses comes back into Egypt 40 years later... He goes before Pharaoh with his brother Aaron, demanding that Pharaoh let the slaves go. And instead of doing that, the Pharaoh actually made their labor more difficult. And this is exactly what the Israelites are telling Moses. They're just saying, told you so. Life stinks for us. Now it's even more difficult. We should have just stayed in there and continued to be slaves because now we're going to be slaughtered out here in the desert. 
And they say that. They say it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. Basically, what the Israelites were saying is we would rather live as slaves than to die free. We would rather live being slaves than to die being free. And I I believe that is a tension we're feeling in our own culture right now. What does it mean to live free versus just simply um, living as a slave, which is not really living at all? So verse 13, it said, Moses said to the people, fear not, stand firm and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. If you remember just one verse today, let it be verse 13 and 14. I'm going to read it and speak it over us today in faith, where God says to the people, fear not, stand firm. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. The Egyptians, the enemy whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. God says, have hope, Israel. This is the last you will see of your enemies. God is letting them know it's my battle. It's not yours. This is God's battle. Have faith. You just need to trust. Stand firm. Hold your ground. Don't give up. Don't turn back. Verse 15 through 18. It says, the Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Now, we actually have not read about Moses crying to the Lord, but here we are let in on Moses' grumbling. The people are grumbling to Moses, and Moses is grumbling before the Lord. And essentially, the Lord says, Moses, quit quit being a crybaby. Quit your crying. Quit your complaining. Stop complaining. He says, this is what you need to do. Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Now, keep in mind, this statement makes no sense because they have the enemy at their back and they have the Red Sea at their front. And God says, just tell the people to go forward. Like, but there's an obstacle. There's a wall. There's a sea. How is it that we will go forward if there's no forward to go? And so God gives Moses a solution. It's an obvious one. He says, pick up your staff. Like, this is going to do something great. Pick up your staff. And I can imagine Moses thinking, like, what, is it going to turn into a snake? How is that going to help us? Pick up your staff. Stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. Oh, is that all? Just pick up my staff, divide the sea? Sure, that's been done before. Do this so that the people of Israel may go through the sea. Through the sea on dry ground. Remember that word, through. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after you after them, after the Israelites. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. You see, this is Egypt's trap that Israel is the bait for. Verse 18 says, the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord, still one of God's primary objectives. They will know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. You might ask, what is our purpose of existence? What is the reason of all creation? The New Testament tells us that all things were made by Jesus, 
through Jesus and for him. And so God's glory is the purpose of all existence. God's glory is the purpose of my existence and of yours. And if we're not careful, we could think that the purpose of our existence is to be blessed. If we're not careful, we could think that the purpose of our existence is to be happy, is is to exist for us. But in all reality, we don't exist for us. We exist for him. And we exist for him to bring him glory. And that's where we find our ultimate purpose. And there is this Christian theological concept that is called Christian hedonism, which just says, I am most satisfied when God is most glorified through me. And so we ultimately find purpose, satisfaction, joy, and sometimes, yes, even blessing and happiness when God gets all of the glory. And the reason for my and your existence is God's glory. And he will receive glory from people who are willing to give it or forcibly by judging those who don't. So God was receiving glory at least temporarily, from Moses and Aaron for trusting in him and giving him glory. But he would also get glory by forcibly destroying and judging Pharaoh, which would also bring him glory. And so either way, you're bringing God glory. But how will it be? Will you bring God glory through your faithfulness? Or will God get glory by judgment on us for our sin and rebellion against him. We have a choice to make. It is to rebel against God like the Egyptians or to put faith in God like at least Moses is attempting to do here. Verse 19 says, Then the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness. There was the cloud and the darkness. And it lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. So the fire and the cloud that went before them and led them and guided them also protects them, also fights for them. And oftentimes we like the idea of God protecting us. And we like the idea of God fighting for us, but we have to recognize that God is going before us and we too must follow him. And for those of us that say we're all about following God, we're all about having him guide us, we have to remember the opposite, that when he guides us and when he leads us and when we follow, so too does he protect us and fight for us. Maybe not in the ways that we expect or the ways that we think through health or prosperity here in worldly terms, but he is protecting us and he is fighting for us to bring us toward something that is far greater than anything the land of Cana promised Israel. It's the land and the kingdom that God is bringing for those he has saved. So let's wrap this up. Verse 21. As Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. And made the sea dry land, and the waters were divided. We thought it was windy here a couple nights ago. Um, My inflatable Christmas tree blew over. Here, the Red Sea uh, is parted. The people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Now, Uh, In the movie, The Prince of Egypt was where we draw all of our inspiration for this sermon series. Um, They make it look like 
Israel's going through like the deepest ocean of all time, and there's like whales swimming beside them. Like, I don't think that's what's going on here. Uh, there's some great documentaries about where Israel would have crossed the Red Sea, whether it was shallow, whether it was deep. I don't know. Either way, it's a miracle, right? Either way, the sea is parted. They're going through. I don't think they're concerned with whales. I think they're concerned about the cloud and the fire and the Egyptians. And so they go through the midst of the sea on dry ground, water on the right and on the left. The Egyptians pursued, there's the trap, and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all of Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning watch, the Lord and the pillar of fire and of cloud looked down on the Egyptian forces. I love this, by the way. Like, if you can just envision this sea parting at daybreak. And the Israelites are almost through to the other side, heading towards uh, the Arabian Peninsula. And, And here is the Egyptians, all of their forces going through. And there's this pillar of cloud by day, but it's still lit up because it's fire by night, and it's just like looking down on them. It's about to go down here with Egypt. It says that the Lord threw the Egyptian forces into a panic. Well, how so? It says their chariots' wheels got clogged so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against us. Wow. How many of you it took you being in a jam to realize that God was God? Unfortunately for Egypt, it's too late. They have had chance after chance, time after time, and here they are pursuing the Israelites because their heart is hardened in rebellion against the Lord And they want to destroy Israel. If they can't have them, they want to destroy them. And so God looks down and he throws them into a panic and they're stuck. They can't do anything. And so they say, turn around, abort the the mission. But they can't turn around because their wheels are clogged down. They are slowed down and the wrath of God will be poured upon them. And so it says in verse 26, Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hands over the sea that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh, that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Let's draw some analogies. God had recently passed over the homes of the Israelites in Egypt, sparing their firstborn children. And he did this. He passed over the homes of the Israelites while he passed through the Egyptian households, killing the firstborn sons. But here, it's reversed. Here, God leads Israel through the sea, sparing their lives, while he causes the sea to pass over the Egyptians, taking their lives. And so while a pass over 
spared their lives in Egypt, here a pass through saves their lives in the Red Sea, and the Passover destroys the lives of the Egyptians. Now, it's easy to imagine being the Egyptians in, in fear and in horror as these waters are collapsing all around you, but I'm afraid if I'm an Israelite in this case. Because, after all, they had just complained to Moses. They had just been angry with God. They wanted to go back to slavery. They wanted to go back to Egypt. And here they are in the middle of the sea on the right and the left, and the waters are coming, collapsing in on the Egyptians. I'm afraid they're going to collapse on me as well. But yet, out of God's grace and his promise to their forefather Abraham, God spares this nation. And he's going to do it again and again and again and again. Verse 30. Thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw that the Egyptians, that they were dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. They just lived through 10 plagues. They just walked out of Egypt with all of the Egyptian bling that they could get their hands on. Like, now we believe. Now we believe in God. Now we'll trust Moses for about five minutes. See, we look at the Israelites and say, man, they're so dumb. They're so stupid. They're us. It's us again and again and again, trusting in God and then bailing on him. You see, this event was not just to show Egypt that the Lord was God. It was to show Israel that the Lord was God as well. And not just Israel, it was actually to show all the earth that the Lord, he is God. Because their forefather, Abraham, God promised that his descendants, including Moses and these two million people in the middle of the Red Sea, he promised that through them, the entire world would be blessed. And the world would be blessed through the descendant of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses would be blessed through the Son of God, God the Son, in the flesh, Jesus Christ. And Jesus would come in the flesh and free mankind, not from slavery to nations or kingdoms, but from slavery to sin. And Jesus would not just lead people to the promised land, but Jesus would lead people to being free, true freedom. Jesus would lead people to freedom in this life, in paradise upon our death, and lead us to a new heaven and a new earth upon his return. And so what's Israel's response to God saving the day? What do they do? Well, just like you and I do in day-to-day life, they broke out into song. They just start singing. They just started singing, and it's just like, you know, what do you do in Frosty the Snowman when the snow comes alive because of an old hat? The kids just start singing. What do you do when you're Rudolph and Yukon Cornelius and Hermie the Elf? You just start singing. What do you do if you're Zac Efron (laughs) in High School Musical? You just start singing. What do you do if you're Hugh Jackman in 
the greatest show, man. You just start singing, right? Life should be a musical. And so they get to the other side of the sea, and celebration breaks out, and they begin to worship. And Moses, just on the spot, he's like, oh, just like a musical, I'm going to write a song on the spot. My 80-year-old self going to write this song, sing it loud, sing it proud. I'm going to dance. I can imagine him doing cool bow staff tricks while he's singing. And his sister Miriam, who, if you remember in the story, we haven't heard from her in like 80 years. This, this girl's old. And she's like, I got a song too. And she breaks into song. And she's like, let's lead all the ladies out in song with tambourines and dancing because that's what you do on a good day. You break out into song and it's what they do. See, God gets the glory. And now you might not break out into song around people, right? Big preface. You might not break out in song around people, but worship ought to be our response to God's salvation. Worship ought to be our response to God's salvation, whether it's in the shower, in the car, your Thanksgiving dinner table with 30 people. Wherever it is, you, you ought to break out in song and, and celebrate. So here's where I want us to end this part of the series. Here's, here's the big, big conclusion before we wrap the year up. So often, once we have found freedom in Christ, our enemy realizes, gives us chase, and nips at our heels. What do you mean, Pastor? I mean, oftentimes when we find freedom in Christ, old friends come around. The old group we used to hang with comes back around. The old hookup that we had comes, comes back looking again. Old habits tend to find their way back. Addictions tend to nip at our heels. Our old ways have a way of finding us out. Your past has a tendency to desire to haunt you through condemnation and through shame. Oftentimes, once we have found freedom in Christ, the spiritual forces of evil themselves rally against us. Many of you have learned that when you have found freedom in Christ, not just your old friends' habits and hookups come after you, but even your own family, even your, old, your own family can turn on you. We, we know who you are. We know how you used to be. You were horrible. How, you don't really love Jesus. This is just like prison religion for you. It, it's going to fade. It's going to pass. How many of you have had family come after your faith? And when this happens, when we find freedom and when our enemy comes and nips at our heels, we are oftentimes tempted to go back into slavery. And here's what I've learned oftentimes is sometimes it seems that life before Jesus was easier. In fact, I can guarantee it was. Sometimes, and this is wrong, sometimes it seems like life before Jesus was better. Oftentimes it's happier. And what we do is we will choose to live our life for pleasure in slavery. A slavery which leads 
to everlasting death? Instead of choosing to suffer and die in freedom, which actually leads to life. Listen to the words of Jesus. Um, He says, hey, if you find your life, you'll lose it. He says, if you lose your life for my name's sake, then you will find it. He says, what good is it for someone to lose their soul but gain the world? That's why Jesus says, pick up your cross and follow me. Die to yourself. Paul says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. And Paul, speaking to the church in Galatia and speaking to the church here today in the year 2021, he says, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Why is he telling us that? Because once we find freedom, we actually long for slavery. Because life seemed easier. I've talked to people who have done long time in prison, and oftentimes they'll long to go back because that structured life in prison seemed simpler. And when they go out into the real world, it's, it's very difficult. And so it's tempting to want to go back. We call it you know, falling off the wagon or relapsing or whatever, but really it's what our hearts desire. We oftentimes, we get the ultimate freedom and we're like, I think slavery was better. And if that's not overwhelming for you, then the stresses of this life can be. Marriage, health, children, career, finances, all stress-free things, right? Especially kids. Kids don't cause stress. Money's not an issue. Man, that's not stressful at all. Mental health, depression, anxiety. And when you have the enemy nipping at your heel, and when you have the stresses of this life pressing in on every side, you can feel as though you are backed into a corner with absolutely no way out. Your enemy behind you and your obstacles in front of you. Well, that's real encouraging, Pastor. Merry Christmas. Let's pray. Life stinks. Let's go home. Yet, but God is right there with you. And God is not there with you to get rid of the sea. How many of you notice the sea doesn't go away? God is actually not there to take you over the sea. He's not going to get rid of it. Can't go over it. Can't go under it. Got to go through it. Go forward, Moses. God, there's a sea in front of me. I can't go forward. God's like, I got this. Go forward and I'll split the sea. You see, God is here to take us through the sea to the other side. Because when God takes us through the sea and the enemies and the trials of this world are swallowed by the sea, not only do you get the victory, but the ultimate truth is that God gets the glory. And I don't know why 
there are enemies, trials, or seas. Remember I told you to think about the enemies, trials, and seas. I don't know why there are enemies, trials, and seas. But I do know that God does work those things for good. To those who love him, to those who trust him, and to those who are willing to walk through it with him. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil because you are with me. Interesting language if you think about it. Your rod and your staff, they come for me. What's Moses got in his hand? He's got a rod and a staff. He's taking place of the shepherd. He is an image of the shepherd to come through Jesus, leading the people, leading us through the sea. In fact, when you get to the book of Revelation, there is this weird prophecy about what the new heaven and the new earth will be. When John sees this vision, he says, I saw it all, and the sea was no more. Now, do I think that there will be no oceans in the new heaven and the new earth? I don't think that. This is a metaphor. Because in the ancient world, the sea was known as something that was chaotic. The sea had creatures and beasts within it that sought to devour people in their minds. The sea represented uncertainty and trials and the enemy and unpassable places. And so John, when he looks forward to the new heaven and the new earth, he's like, oh, there's no sea. There's no more trial. There's no more tears. There's no more chaos. There's no more enemies. There are no more obstacles. And when the prophet, I believe it's Isaiah, uh, he says, and and I, I looked in this future and like, it was like the mountains were made flat and there was a pathway through. And there's gonna be mountains and there's gonna be seas and rivers and the new heaven and the new earth, but it's an analogy of there being no more obstacles between us and God. No more obstacles between one another. No more obstacles to battle against because the old earth, is no more, and instead, a new Jerusalem has come, and Jesus has come to live with us, and that we would be his people, and he would be our God. So let's apply Exodus 14, 13, we read earlier. Fear not. There's a sea in front of you. There's enemies behind you. There are trials all around you. It seems like you're trapped. It may look like you're trapped, but it's actually a trap for the enemy. So don't fear. Don't be afraid. 2 Timothy 1.7. God hasn't given you a spirit of fear, but power, love, self-control. 1 John 4.18. Perfect love casts out all fear. Psalm 23. Because he's with us, we do not need to fear. So fear not. And as you're choosing to fear not, it's a mental decision, by the way. It's not a heart action because you can't actually make your heart not fear, but you can choose not to fear. Fear not, and once you're not fearing, once you're fearing not, then stand firm. Stand firm. It's interesting that the Israelites had to stand firm for God to make a way for them to pass through. And as the Egyptians went through the Egyptians actually were forced to stand firm because they got stuck. 
So the Israelites had to choose to stand firm. The enemy got stuck and they got devoured. But while we're waiting for the seed apart, we've got to stand firm. That's why Paul says in Ephesians 6, Therefore, take up the full armor of God that you may be able to stand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, he says, stand therefore, just keep swimming, not swimming. That's, you don't, we're not going to swim, we're going through. Just keep standing. Just keep standing. See the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. Pastor, will all my problems be done today? If Jesus comes back today, yes, they will. Jesus says, behold, I come quickly. I'm coming soon. And so let's stand firm. Let's see the salvation of the Lord, which is coming for us today. The enemies, the trials, the obstacles that you see today, one day they will be no And just like Pharaoh and his forces were thrown into the depths of the sea, one day our enemy, the devil, will be thrown into a lake of fire and sin will be no more. And the lake of fire, hell itself, is where death will be. And we will be alive and free with Christ. The Lord will fight for you. You only have to be silent. That's hard to do, right? God's going to fight for me. I just have to be silent. That doesn't mean there's not a time to shout. That doesn't mean there's not a time to take up the sword of the Spirit. It doesn't mean there's, there's not time to fight. But while we're fighting, we've got to understand the one who's really fighting for us is the Lord. And when it says, just, just stand firm, be silent, wait and trust. Trust and wait. And while you're waiting and trusting, just stand still. And you see it in Jericho as the Israelites, they round the city seven times awkwardly. And like, okay, when the seventh time, just make a bunch of noise. Just wait and see what God will do. Or you've got um, Gideon in the book of Judges. You know, just uh, get a bunch of fire and pots and make a bunch of noise and watch God fight for you. Man, it seems hard. Sometimes we just want to go in swinging. Sometimes God says, hold off, cowboy. Be patient. Stand. Wait. Trust. The battle is mine. Get rid of fear. Just keep standing. What do you stand on? Here's what you stand on. Peter said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said to Peter, Peter, you're right. Flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. But my father who was in heaven, he says, you are Peter, which means rock. You are a rock, Peter. In fact, Peter means little rock. You are a little rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell, the gates of Pharaoh, the gates of the devil, the gates of Rome, the gates of the Antichrist will not prevail against it. So we got to stand on the rock, this rock, the rock, the foundation. Jesus is the Christ. He is the son of the living 
And when we stand, the gates of hell cannot prevail. Have faith, church. Have faith. When God brings you through the sea ahead of you, and when he defeats your enemies behind you, have faith and rejoice. Rejoice that you're not a slave. Rejoice that you're free. And never again go back to slavery because it was for freedom that he did set you free. Would you guys bow your heads and pray? We'll have our worship team come and lead us in a final song. I think a recurring theme that I am getting from this series and studying the book of Exodus is this idea of not giving up. And in this season that we are alive in right now, it seems very easy to give up on so many things. And a lot of times the things that seem easier, if we were to give up on those things, it actually would be easier. But it wouldn't be better. Easy and better are two different things. We need to live for better things, not easy things. So we do hard things so that we can experience better things. So it might be easy to divorce your husband. Yeah, it might be easy. But it might not be better. It might be easy um, to stop the dream you've been pursuing. But it won't be better. You'll regret it. It'd be easy to stop your ministry. It'd be easy to stop your calling. It'd be super easy to quit being a pastor. But it wouldn't be better. It wouldn't be better. Even though it might be easy, you'd be miserable. And our culture tells us that easy things are the goal. Whatever is easy, that's what we should pursue. But it wasn't easy for Moses to go stand before the leaders of Israel and tell them God sent him. It wasn't easy for Moses to go before Pharaoh and to tell him God sent him and to let his people go. It wasn't easy for Moses time after time as Pharaoh had his heart hardened to keep going back, bit by bit wanting to just give up because it would have been easier to stay in Midian with your wife and your two sons and your father-in-law and ten sheep than it would be to lead a nation of two million complainers. But it wouldn't have been better. It wasn't easy for Moses to find himself backed against the sea between the sea and enemies and the trials of this world. It would have been easy literally to go back into Egypt and to be slaves. But it wouldn't have been better. And even if the sea swallowed Israel whole that day, drowning in the sea as a free person would have been better than going back and living as a slave in Egypt. But God had something better for them. Not easier, but better. Because he brought them through on dry, dry ground. The sea swallowed their enemies instead of them. And they would go step by step by step by step, and then take like a hundred steps back 
and go step by step again until they got to where God was taking them. And it would come to be known and described as a land of milk and honey. That sounds like easy stuff, but that wasn't about easy. It was a better place, a better place than where they'd been. They'd have to work the ground, till the ground, build houses, rid the land of their enemies, but it still was better. Fighting and working hard is better than being a slave and things being easy. Grab hold of the better that God has for you. The better is found through Christ. Christ who lived for you, who resisted temptation for you, who lived a life without sin for you, who died a death in your place that you deserve to die, taking all the wrath of God for your sins upon himself, and who rose from the grave defeating Satan, sin, hell, and death so that your sins could be forgiven, so that you could have a relationship with God, so that the Spirit of God could dwell inside of you and that you could have everlasting life of freedom and relationship with God. That's better. And you experience better, not through works, but through faith. Stand firm and watch as your salvation comes. That's faith. Trusting that Jesus is enough. Trusting that his life, his death, and his resurrection did what you could not and saved you and spared you from your enemies. And you experience that freedom by putting trust in Jesus. The Bible says if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. If you confess, you'll be saved. If you call on the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. Jesus says, God so loved the world, he gave his only son, that's Jesus, that whosoever believes in Jesus will not perish in the sea, but have everlasting life in a better place, in something that's better. Put your trust in Jesus. Drop that anchor. He is the only thing that's getting you through the sea. He says, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus is it, guys. He's our only hope. He's not easy. But he says his yoke is easy. The burden you take on, it's easier compared to the burden that would ultimately crush you of your sin. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. So let him carry you when you cannot lift it up yourself. So God, if there's anyone here today that does not know you, I ask in the name of Jesus, they would put their faith and their trust in you. That you would save them from sin, save them for relationship with you, and give to them not an easy life, but a better one. God, for those who are living right now in freedom from sin, having received salvation from you, and now on this journey to where you're taking us, I pray that we would never again choose easy, but would always choose better. That we would never again walk backwards into slavery, but instead move forward, even if it looks like there's a sea and an obstacle in front of us. God, bring us through it. In the name of Jesus, we ask and pray. Amen.